0: From the Surveyor Newsroom in sunny Miami, welcome to the Miami Real Estate Podcast, your home for expert insight on all things Miami real estate. I'm your host, Omar DeWint. Let's get started. Making mobility and urban design—that is at the heart of what's driving the transformation of downtown Miami and the city's urban core. We're talking all about it today with two very special people. That's Ilona Vega and Neil Schaefer's joining us, representing the Miami Downtown Development Authority. Ilona, Neil, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank, Thank you,
1: you, you very us. much. Omar.
0: So I know the Downtown Development Authority has several existing and planned public works projects that are just transforming the downtown Miami landscape. We're gonna cover all of them today. Excited to do that and do what we do best, uh, give our listeners that expert insight on the key drivers of Miami of today and tomorrow. But before we do, uh, please help our audience get to know each of you personally and uh, to professionally understand your role at the DDA and uh, driving these projects forward.
1: Sure. Uh, I'm really happy to be here. My name's Ilona Vega and I have been working for the last three years uh, in the business development team at the Miami Downtown Development Authority. Uh, I think my job has to be one of the most exciting jobs uh, in Miami right now because our city is uh, is just changing every single day and I get to be the one to uh, tell everybody about those changes in the business world.
0: Very exciting. And Neil.
2: Thank you again for having us. Uh, Neil Shafers, same with Alona, Miami Downtown Development Authority or DDA. So my background is a landscape architect and urban designer. Um, worked abroad a lot on waterfront projects and a lot of capital improvement projects and urban design and some transportation. And that's kind of what I brought to the DDA when I started uh, about four years ago. So we work on planning, uh, large scale planning, uh, urban design, transportation, mobility, and really uh, creating you know th- what we call the third place. So you have your home as the first place, work as the second place. What do you do in your spare time at nights and on the weekends with your family? So trying to create those uh, placemaking moments of places you want to go and live and celebrate your life. That's kind of what we work on on a daily basis.
0: I like that. And Alona, if you could please give our listeners um, an intro, and overview into the DDA for those that aren't as as familiar with it.
1: Sure. Uh, So the Miami DDA was actually uh, created in the late 60s. Uh, we are an independent agency of the city of Miami. We are funded through property taxes in our district. Uh, the district is actually about two square miles. Uh, and, uh, and so every property owner, where you whether it's a residential or commercial property owner, pays property taxes, and we get a millage rate from that. Our budget is about $12 million. And with that budget, we do a lot, believe it or not. Uh, We have a a team of people that is focused on leadership and advocacy. So we need to make sure that we're in touch with local county and state government uh, and legislation that is coming down the pipe to make sure that our interests are very well represented. We have a team of people that do um, enhanced services and they focus on quality of life. Uh, They uh, make sure downtown is safe uh, and clean. Uh, and then I specifically am uh, working in the economic development and research team, and we try to promote downtown to get businesses to consider locating in downtown, but as well we support the downtown uh, commerce, uh, so small and medium-sized companies, existing corporates, and we do what we can to support them and their needs and uh, make sure that Miami is at front and center at all, in front of all the site selectors and different companies looking for second or third locations.
2: If I could chime in just for a second, Um, I think everything Alona just mentioned is absolutely 100% correct. We really are at our heart, an economic development agency. But beyond that, we're also asked to do quite a bit more. So we're kind of a hybrid in that we take on kind of the responsibilities of a typical business improvement district or a bid so we also do marketing and events and promotions. Um, we do a lot of cleaning up of downtown. we have a really amazing program called the debt team or downtown enhancement team and this is a program where you take uh, formerly homeless individuals get them off the street into full-time housing they get full-time training. they're the ones you see around town in yellow and purple shirts that are really cleaning up downtown landscaping, trash removal graffiti removal, uh, making our city more beautiful And one of the best parts about this program is that they get the training they need, they rise up through the ranks, become a manager, and then they basically, you know, work out of the program and then get full-time, you know, employment or housing anywhere else. And so new people keep coming into the system. Um, it's a great little program we have. Uh, yeah. So it's one of the things that I think, um, people are always asking us, you know, why haven't you fixed traffic? Why haven't you fixed homelessness? Well, we're doing our part as much as we can. Um. And I guess one other thing is we're also the conduit between the public and private sector. I know Alona alluded to that earlier. You know, for our business community, you know, trying to work with the city of Miami or Miami-Dade County, whether it's through permitting um, or any of the issues they're dealing with, they really come to us a lot. We're also the advocacy agency. So when our residences have issues and whether, you know, whether it's through their commissioner or it's through, an, uh, you know, a large agency like FDOT or FPL, again, they come to us and a lot of times we're the problem solvers.
0: So you're really wearing many hats, right? Asked to wear,
2: sometimes too many, but yes, yes. (laughs) Uh, We try to do a lot with a little. Well,
0: and it seems like you're doing very well. So congratulations and and kudos. And now let's talk a little bit more about specifically business development and Ilona. I know that- Well, it's multifaceted, uh, same as you guys wear many hats, and then within business development, there's many layers there. So could you tell me a little bit more about how that's structured and sort of what your strategy is and, and what that all involves?
1: Sure, absolutely. So our business development strategy for the last couple of years has really been focused on finance. Uh, you know, the board decided a few years back that we had a very high concentration of finance firms in our district, primarily the financial district, which is our beloved Brickell Avenue. Uh, having the second largest concentration of international banks gives us an edge when you're comparing us to other cities. Uh, we are second to Manhattan in ha- that concentration. So we decided to focus on that industry. Uh, and Specifically, we were uh, focused on hedge funds back in 2014, but with having such a diverse representation of firms in our community, not just banks, international banks, family offices, wealth managers, hedge funds, VC, private equity, we are now uh, broadening our reach and we are trying to grow the entire finance sector, which all feeds into each other. Uh, That is definitely one of the pillars of our strategy. Uh, The other pillar is tech. Uh, We have a vibrant tech community in Miami and in downtown, believe it or not. We were one of the uh, the reasons, if if not the reason, why we were able to recruit 500 startups to open their only... East Coast office and second office in the US, um, outside of Silicon Valley, they opened up in downtown. And it was because of the Miami DDA helping to attract them here. Uh, They have been growing for the last three years, helping to activate the downtown area and create more activity and vibrancy with our tech community. And, uh, And so we are going to be doubling down on tech and, uh, and right now are, are considering many different uh, events that are happening. Uh, we're going to start doing Tech Thursdays, uh, which is a networking event. We're going to bring together uh, the tech community in downtown uh, and try to activate our downtown bars, which are growing. Um, you know, most people don't come to downtown to go to happy hour, but with the new uh, ups and up-and-coming bars and breweries that are starting to open up. But we want to make it a, a two-pronged approach and try to activate both the tech community and uh, these downtown bars and make it a scene.
0: I have to jump in for a quick second because just last week somebody asked me what's a good bar to go into downtown. So can, can, what, what are the good ones right now? Sure, Alon- Alona knows of all.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Lost Boys for one. Lost Boys. Yeah, right? yeah Lost and B- Lost Blackbird. Flagler,
2: Blackbird Ordinary. Oh, no, uh, the uh, new one, Blackbird, you're right. Yeah. Um, I really like Sugar, which is on the 50th floor of Brickell oh. City center and at the east hotel out. i yeah, mean the views up nice. there are spectacular but yeah there's more and more coming flagler uh, we're gonna i know we're gonna get into it later mm-hmm. but there are quite a few actually um, breweries and bars um coming online very soon on flagler mm-hmm. so okay. it's about to change in a big way
1: uh the old post office is gonna how is gonna ho- house a brewery biscayne breweries so uh we was supposed to open in october they were having delays but we're very excited about that right in front of the we work security building so it's it's going to be a very nice location and a great venue.
0: Excellent. So what about tourism, Port Miami? How does all that oh, sort of fit into the mix?
1: So believe it or not, uh, 23 million tourists visited Miami-Dade County last year. Of those visitors, 16 million stayed overnight. Uh, obviously, the number one market share is Miami Beach, right, with 48% of that 60 million. But second to Miami Beach is downtown Miami. Those of us who have been here for a long time wouldn't have believed that a possibility, that tourists would actually come to downtown and stay here overnight, uh, which adds tremendous value to our economic engine. Um, Of course, many of those visitors are Uh, cruise passengers who either stay overnight in downtown before their cruise or stay after. Uh, Those people uh, eat out at restaurants, they go shopping downtown. Uh, So tourism has become a huge piece of uh, the puzzle and very much important uh, for our continued business development strategy.
0: Excellent. And then I, I think um, the, another big piece of the puzzle here is uh, Miami-Dade College, right? Um, the big One of the biggest campuses, I think. In-
1: Miami-Dade is such an asset to not just Miami-Dade County, but to downtown. Uh, it is actually the largest college in the United States. They have over 160,000 students. The downtown campus is the Wolf- Wolfson campus, uh, and they service about 27,000 students those students feed into the talent pipeline, right? So as companies are coming to downtown uh, and as uh, all cities are becoming more and more urban, people are would rather give up space and they'd rather be in a place where they can live, work and play. Uh, so that talent is so important for the t- continued vitality and continued development of uh, the business in downtown. So uh, so we partner very much with Miami-Dade College and look for ways to to create pipelines of talent uh, that are going to feed into our uh, companies.
0: I like it. And uh, I'm with you also on the tech uh, aspect and doubling down on that, because recently that's been coming up more and more in conversation, even here on the podcast, had several, uh, both from DDA and also VCs, startups. It's very exciting what's happening here. I think the the Miami-Dade College and that pipeline, as you mentioned, being able to develop the talent to feed into those startup organizations to recruit local talent, write it all sort of um, Supports uh, each other.
1: And if I could just add, uh, so talent is driving corporate decisions. Uh, I don't know if our audience knows that, but uh, you know the reason why Amazon chose New York, which I guess is now on pause, and uh, and Washington D.C. is because of talent, the availability of talent. So that is why it's so important for economic development agencies to be very much in close communications with the university so that, and as well as the the high schools, because we need to make sure that we're planning for the future. We understand what the businesses need for their continued growth so that we are all in alignment and are preparing the next generation to take on new jobs.
0: Absolutely. And so in talking about planning for the future, I think connectivity and mobility is a big part of that equation. As I mentioned to both of you sort of off-air recently in conversations with family um, that, that don't live in downtown, but just here in the suburbs and have been in Miami for decades, uh, there was some sort of surprise and shock when when I talked to them about some of the things happening here in downtown. And one of them had recently visited was like, this is not the downtown or brick I remember. Um, I think a lot of that comes to, again, connectivity, mobility changes there uh, improvements, there, amenities and so on and so forth. But Neil, if you could talk me through some of these biggest, um, advancements or or changes to the infrastructure as of late that really make up this, this picture.
2: Sure. Um, and I I liked your earlier point when you were talking about, you know, the city's, um, that people will go and travel to and they really uh, embrace and enjoy them. And a lot of times it comes down to you know whether you're in Boston, New York DC, Chicago or you're abroad in London, Paris, uh, Barcelona. It's basically having a really amazing urban dense core that's very walkable uh, pedestrian friendly, um, you know, on, on street dining, uh, shops, restaurants, dining, I mean, all, all the stuff you could want, but then once, you know, you're walking around that downtown, how do you get around to your other areas? And it's having a, a really robust and deeply connected mass transit system that's effective. So, you know, if you're in Paris, you're walking down Champs-Élysées and then all of a sudden you hop on, you know, the Metro and you're on to your next stop. So you know, Florida has not been known as a, as a beacon of mass transit over the last, you know, hundred years. We actually did start as a, um, especially here in Miami, we did start as a transit oriented development. So when Flagler brought his railroad at the turn of the century in 1896, kind of transformed Miami, put it on the map, you know, the magic city happened kind of overnight. Um, and now, as everyone knows, when all aboard came aboard or all aboard came, came online <laughs> and then quickly transitioned into Brightline and now known as Virgin Trains, um, that's been a, you know, the game, word game changer is overused, but that truly is a game changer for downtown. Um, and it didn't just put downtown Miami on the map, but you know, when we were doing the Amazon pitch, they put all of South Florida on the map because now all of a sudden you had three, you know, geographic locations, three, you know, economic sectors, three counties, and three major cities all connected via one high-speed train. So, you know, Brightline and Virgin Trains is doing that on a daily basis. I know because I, I take it on a daily basis and it's, it's really incredible. Um, I don't have to tell people in Miami-Dade County that getting to and from work via car is almost unsustainable, um, if not very, very painful. Whether you're on 95 or 836, it's just, wow. So Brightline has really helped that with the north and south corridors. Uh, Tri-rail will start running into downtown uh, hopefully early next year. So that's another option people will have. But then that's north and south. So what about the rest of Miami-Dade County? And that's where you know the Miami-Dade Transportation Planning Organization, the TPO, uh, Miami-Dade County, Miami-Dade Transit, all these different agencies are coming together to try and really advance the smart plan. And what the smart plan is, is they're trying to expand uh, Metro Rail in six different you know strategic locations. So there'd be one line going all the way down from uh, Kendall, to all the way down to, not Kendall, excuse me, all the way from uh, downtown, all the way down to Homestead. You'd have another one going out west to Kendall, another one going out northwest to Doral, another one going up uh, north to Miami Gardens and like around Hard Rock, um, another one going northeast all the way up to Aventura and eventually Fort Lauderdale. And then the sixth line would be um, basically the beach connector going across to Miami Beach. So this is a large long-term planning process. You know, people are always saying, oh, they've been talking about this for years. A lot of these, you know, federally mandated studies take a long time and they're sure. very expensive. So what will happen is within the next pretty much 12 to 18 months, we're going to know all six of those different lines. We're going to know, you know, what is the technology they're recommending? Is this elevated rail, accurate rail, Metro mover, Metro rail, high speed, bus rapid transit. So they'll know what technology, what alignment, where the stations will go. And then they have to find the funding and the, the funding's the key component. Because if you're building a bus rapid transit corridor, just one corridor, you know, the minimum costs are around 500 million. If you're doing uh, heavy rail elevated like metro rail, you're talking about two billion. So that's for one quarter. So you got to multiply that by six, and then you have maintenance and operations, which are also equally expensive. So these are not you know quick fixes. They're, they're not cheap. They're not easy. But when you see you know c- cities with truly integrated and robust mass transit systems, DC, New York, you know it's it's kind of an absolute must for if you want to be a twenty first century city. Mm-hmm. So Miami's getting there. Um, what Miami Central is doing and changing the fabric of downtown is incredible. Uh, the large-scale developments that are popping up around it and, and being connected via our Metro Mover, whether it's mixed use places like Brickle City Center, uh, Miami World Center is starting to come online now. Um, these are major developments, cities within cities that you can get to via mass transit easily walk to. And then um, even on the first and last mile, now all of a sudden we're going to have dedicated bike lanes coming online soon. You've got the scooters, freebies. um, Of course, you got Uber and Lyft. So your options for getting around um, easily and cheaper than what used to be, it's getting better every day.
1: If I could jump in as well. So Miami International Airport, right? How does it tie in to all of this uh, mass transit? Well, I mean, with such a Great asset as Miami International, uh, you can actually now you know land in Miami Airport, take the Metro or the Tri Rail. In the future, you can take it to downtown. Uh, from there, you can stay at a hotel, right? And then you can have all your meetings at your hotel. Ask all the people that you're meeting with to come to you. Uh, you can be there for all your business meetings for the entire week, and then get back on the Metro, back to the airport, and go home. How many people do this on a on a daily basis. I, I can tell you 10 people that I know that are constantly on a plane every other week. And uh, and people, especially from Latin America, that are coming in, uh, they don't need to get a car. They can actually just keep their lives simple and do it all in downtown.
0: Well, I'll, I'll add one more uh, to your numbers. I mean, me. Um, last week, I was actually coming from Miami International Airport, took the Metro Rail. I live here in Brickell, a couple blocks away. Took the Metro Rail, um, home, got here in 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I right. have to say the um, the station at, at Miami International for Metro is beautiful. The I mean, world? just sort it? of seamless, very uh, a first-class experience. Metro Oil here, got home in 15 minutes. It cost me $2.50. And yeah
1: as opposed to paying, you know, $15 an hour and the airport parking.
0: Right, or even taking an Uber, which would have been fine, a li- maybe a little bit longer about the same time, but more expensive. So it's all to your points, I agree. I think the Metro Rail, um, the connectivity, all of that making it, and the time, uh, it, these are all parts of Miami just really getting to that next level. I really hope that in this next um, 12 to 18 months that we get what what we need and that the people get behind it and support it because it's a game changer, again, to use that word. It also
2: helps the person uh, private, you know, you know, on the private equity and private development side, because the more and more people that don't have cars, and as the city starts to become more progressive, they, you know, lessen their parking requirements for condos, you know, apartments, um, public buildings. So instead of taking up, you know, eight to 10 stories of parking decks, you can start to see those numbers shrink down a little bit more, less surface parking lots. So as, um, downtown starts to become more of a mass transit option, you know, there's two things we need to do. Um, We, uh, the city of Miami, Miami Miami-Dade County, and the DDA are working hand-in-hand to try and make Miami a safer pedestrian and bicycle experience. So you're seeing larger and larger sidewalks all the time. Um, Miami World Center, we're going to talk about Flagler Street. um, But now we really need to start having those dedicated and protected bike lanes. So if people want to use bikes or scooters, they feel safe enough to do so. They're not making the pedestrians feel endangered as they whiz by, but yeah. they also feel safe enough to be in the streets
0: because a lot of people right now don't. So I'm glad you brought that up because I, I for one, love the scooters, the electric scooters. I know you guys have been so in the pilot program, <laughs> right? They're <Did> fun, <laughs> uh, again, uh, cost effective, and um, and they're just easily accessible. Uh, how? What has been the reception, the feedback, sort of where are we at in terms of the pilot program and how do you see it sure. moving forward? So- um,
2: From the vendor side, they're loving it because they're seeing utilization through the roof. Um, Every, uh, I think it's every month they're allowed to add a percentage, a few more scooters, each one. And we have six vendors right now. Let me see if I can remember them. Uber, Lyft, uh, Spin, Jump, Bolt, and Lime. Okay. Yeah. So we got those. So those are the six um, vendors right now that we have in the pilot program. Uh, They had to pay a kind of a, a steep introductory fee just to be able to join the program all that money is going to go towards dedicated bike lanes. So all the, you know, separators and paint, um, and the restriping of streets, that's where that, that's where those funds are coming from. Um, so on their end, they've been loving it. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say so. Our um, chairman of our board of directors, District 2, Commissioner Ken Russell, he's the one, uh, you know, really leading that pilot program. I know he's received, um, I would say both. He's received a lot of positive feedback. We love them. These are great. It's an easy way to get downtown. And I'm sure he's received a lot of negative criticism, like these are dangerous. I don't feel safe. Um, we can't have these on the sidewalks. So it is a pilot program to test it to see how it works. Um, when the pilot wraps up, They'll basically, I guess, have three options. They can continue the program, they can expand the program to other commissioners' districts, um, or they can get rid of it altogether. Um, and then maybe they'll decide, okay, we don't we, need, we don't need six vendors. Maybe we just need two. These are the ones that have been the best partners. We can pick it that way. So I, I, I've heard I've heard a, a you know mix of reviews on them. I personally love them. There probably needs to be a little bit more you know education for those who are writing them. We need more infrastructure to make them safe so people have a place to go and there isn't as much of that pedestrian and and scooter conflict. Well,
0: and speaking of the education, I mean, I'll ask because I use them all the time. Am I supposed to be riding them on the sidewalk or like on the street?
2: They are right now legal for both. Okay, so, all right. You can kind of almost so you might take see them me on anywhere. on Brickle
0: Avenue, like next to you at the next stoplight. Yeah,
2: <laughs> they work via your app, so on your app, it'll show you where you can't go. There are certain sure. areas that you know are blocked off. Brickle the Key, hard in way. other words. Yeah, you'll learn the hard way.
1: Or you you might be you might see me strown across Brickle Avenue <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah. okay, happened no. to me last week. But oh, <laughs>
2: and, then, and, no. it, and then you have the other thing where it's... But I still um, love them. It's the curbside mm-hmm. management of, you yeah. know, people get really upset when you have a four or six-foot sidewalk, Um, your uh, mom with a stroller or your person in a wheelchair and someone just left a scooter right in front of you so we need that's where that's where um the vendors we can work with them and say listen you need to give this person an alarm on their app that says, listen, if you leave it here, we're going to charge you X amount of dollars right. because that's the kind of um, it's great. You can educate them, but unless you're hitting someone's you know wallet, right. they're usually not going to you know, change their behavior. So, you know, instead we have dedicated areas where you can leave them or, you know, next to utilities. So they're just out of the way. So,
0: you know. Right. And just if you're out there, don't be that guy, you know, common decency, right? <laughs> right? Leave it stationed in a nice way and, uh, and be considerate of others. But no, that's great. I'm glad to hear it. Again, I, I love the scooters. And I want to say give a shout out to Miami based tech company Bolt, uh, which is mm-hmm. one of the scooters you mentioned, Absolutely. you know, homegrown woman products here. And
1: woman owned and woman owned. Yeah, okay, woman awesome. owned. Awesome. Yep.
0: Awesome. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, we had the VC uh, behind them um, on the show recently. That's how I, I learned about it. That's uh, cool. Jeff Franzo. So, so one other thing in terms of connectivity and mobility I want to mention before we move on is um, I think the Metro Mover, which you talked about earlier, is one of the biggest sort of like unsung heroes mm-hmm. of downtown and the mobility and, and the whole concept. I take it all the time, again, living here. Um, I wish it went even further, like up into Wynwood or, or farther south. But um great job on that. I don't know if there's any plans for expanding that, but I think it's amazing.
2: That was all alone in 1986. Thank yeah, she did. You. It. Wow. Thank you very much. <laughs> <I'm glad also. laughs> no, we agree. Um, we all use the Metro Mover mm-hmm. constantly. Um Metro Mover has twenty-one different stations throughout downtown, almost four and a half miles of free track. Um, there have been many, many talks about expanding it both in Brickle and north up to Omni and Edgewater. Um I believe with the smart plan there's a good chance that 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 northern uh leg would would include Metro mover being expanded up into design district midtown Winwood and you'd have that loop coming back into downtown um Brickle probably it'd be great if they could figure it out but um a larger loop so it's not just one one you know system coming down or one leg uh, coming down because so many of the people work and live in Brickle and only have one line going right. um every Maybe five minutes, maybe 10 minutes. Maybe you don't know when it's coming. Right. Have a little bit more. If I could um, get an app, sorry to interrupt, but yeah, you knew the
0: no. timing because I know the Metro yeah. there mover, is one. A Rail has a...
2: There is an app. It's on what? Miami-Dade Transit. It has an app and it's oh. all inclusive. It's Metro Rail and Metro Mover. Okay. um sometimes it's very accurate sometimes not so much um, we'll get the link for from yes. you guys
0: for that and include it in the show notes for our listeners out
2: there absolutely but it, it is there um there we're supposed to be working with uh, miami-dade county miami-dade transit to do upgrades around the metro mover stations make them more accessible um put in new um electronic signage so you know when one's coming um yeah Definitely needed.
1: Make sure the escalators are working. How many times (laughs) uh, are they not working? Uh, And I also want to highlight the importance of Brickell City Center. For those of us that have been living on Brickell for a while and have seen the metro movers going around uh, downtown for the last, you know, however many years, we used to see them empty, right? All the time. And I believe through my experience of having lived here that it was really Brickell city center that incorporated the Metro stop into the big project uh, that really helped to spark the use of mm-hmm. the Metro mover. I mean, now I I sold my car, I live on Brickell. I sold my car. My husband and I have share one car, believe it or not. Um, I don't miss it at all. I am taking the Metro mover every single day. And uh, and I just love it, and I love seeing all the young professionals uh, taking the metro and and having it full, you know, at full capacity. Finally, after all these years.
2: Alon, I'm really glad you brought that up. That's a perfect example of P3s, public-private partnership. So that was a deal where you know Swire realized the the importance of having mass transit and connectivity to bring people, you know, right into their huge mixed-use development. So they actually are the ones that paid for the upgrade of that station and then wrapped their development around the station to really make it, you know, you know, perfect downtown connectivity. Um, I know Nitman Wani and his group are doing the exact same thing with, uh, with Miami world center. And they have, I believe, three Metro mover stations around their, around their entire, you know, large mixed use complex. So.
0: Yeah, I have to say, and it's like a love hate thing for me with it with Brickle city center, because I counted the other day, I think it was less than 90 steps from my door to Zara at Brickle City Center (laughs) because of the Metro Mm -hmm. Mover. And then when you factor my wife into the equation and then I'm like, okay, it's way too easy for her to get there (laughs) too convenient.
1: Thank Uh, God it's there, right? Because otherwise she'd be shopping at Saks. Right. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, way to
0: put it. Yeah, yeah, I I like it. I like where where your head's at. That's a great
2: female perspective. I'm saving you you money.
1: Yeah, that's exactly. (laughs) Thank you, Metro Mover. (laughs) It's true.
0: (laughs) Totally like uh, work to work that one around. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Miami Real Estate Podcast. We're talking about placemaking mobility and urban design with Ilona Vega and Neil Schafer's from the Downtown Development Authority of Miami. Amazing institution. So let's keep it going. Let's talk about Miami in the next five to 10 years. Um, I think we all know that and here agree that in the last quarter century, seen tremendous growth. It's no longer that vacation beach town. I mean, with all the things we just touched Mm -hmm. on here, it is a tremendous global city, 365 days a year. And for that reason, actually, uh, earlier this year, the Knight Frank Report had us, I think, number five uh, fastest growing in the world for the ultra luxury, uh, wanting to live and and work, play in Miami. Um, but it's we're not stopping there. Rome wasn't built in a day. Correct. Talk to me a little bit about what we see in the future. Um, I know we have some exciting projects like Skyrise, the Signature Bridge. Uh, we talked earlier about Flagler Street. Baywalk, Biscayne, Green. So, break some of these down for me and tell me what you're most excited about.
1: Sure, there's a lot. Uh, I mean, it's been so exciting because of everything that has been coming through the pipe over the last couple of years. And then the best part is there's still more to come. So, uh, just when you think Miami is, you know, hitting its stride and and it's gonna, it is the way it's gonna be for the next couple of years, you realize, you know, the exciting part is yet to come. So. 1000 Museum, you know, the Zaha Hadid, we've seen it being built over the last couple years. It's really adding quite a, a view to our skyline. Uh, it should be complete by the end of this year. It's, it's almost complete with those uh, high uh, luxury uh, apartments. I
2: believe a few units have already moved in, actually. Okay. Yep. So we're okay. getting close to being done.
1: Yeah. So very exciting. Uh, of course, the Aston Martin residences, it's 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 already coming out of the ground. Uh, I've taken uh, uh, not a test drive, but I sat in the Aston Martin in the lobby and revved the engine a couple. <laughs> times. Uh, but it's uh, it's very exciting. It's a beautiful project at, at the mouth of the Miami River. And it really is going to add a, a, another piece to the Miami skyline. Yeah.
2: And not only will it add to the skyline, but it, it's basically going to help redevelop a, a crucial pinch point uh, that connects the Miami Bay Walk to the Miami River Walk right there at the mouth of the river. Um, that site has been closed for over 10 years um so kind of it kind of kills the baywalk on the north side of the river um but now you'll have basically a seamless transition from the baywalk along the coast into the Miami River and then at some point when we get some more of the riverwalk locations built out on the south side of the river we will eventually have a seamless connection to the underline which maybe is a good time to segue to that so I'll, i guess i'll talk about all three uh the baywalk has been in development for basically 40 years So there was an amazing land use attorney uh, named Dan Paul, who basically was able to get the city to adopt into their city code what was called the Dan Paul Amendment. And basically it said any new development on the waterfront, Miami River, Biscayne Bay, had to set back their architectural building facade 50 feet from the water. And then within that 50 feet, build out and maintain a dedicated public right-of-way. Known as the Baywalk or the Riverwalk, um, this is uh, something that's been done in a lot of our other major and Northeast industrial cities. Uh, Chicago has taken back their waterfront. Brooklyn and Manhattan have done the same. Um, our neighbor to the northwest, Tampa, has done an amazing job with their Riverwalk. So, as our Baywalk, um, forty years has incrementally, you know, built up piece by piece. There's only about four pieces left, so we're getting close to having almost five miles of public waterfront access and once we have that full connected loop you'll see people using it a lot more um and then that will connect to the river walk the river walk happens on both sides of the Miami River it's kind of on a similar trajectory uh as the site's redevelop the river's a little different of course in its character and nature you know the baywalks known for the gleaming high end uh residential towers uh the riverwalk has much more of a maritime and industrial use it also has a lot more of uh, marine industry use uh, there's a lot of shipyards and uh, marine related activity that go on there and they're almost keeping up now with uh, fort lauderdale as far as what comes in from uh, marine commerce and then the underline so the underline this is basically what is already known as the empath this is a small pedestrian path that goes underneath the metro mover excuse me metro rail and that goes all the way from the miami river all the way down to Dayland South. Um, but the issue with it is it's sometimes it's a nice path, sometimes not so nice. There's a ton of street crossings. So you have a lot of vehicular pedestrian conflicts. So uh, thanks to uh, the vision um, of someone like Meg Daly, you have basically what's already been started. Phase one of of the underline is happening. And this will be Miami's version of the High Line that you see in New York City where you had a derelict train track and it was, you know, not used at all. And now it's, you know, the number one or number two tourist destination, all of Manhattan, and you see all the developments, you know, springing up around it. Well, we're hoping that kind of a similar thing is going to happen with the underline, um, like I said, phase one is under construction right now, uh, should be open within a year and a half, two years. And then, uh, there's five more phases that will get us all the way down to Dayland South. So you're going to see a lot more, you know, bike and pedestrian connectivity, uh, Baywalk Riverwalk, underline. Um, I know you talked about some other entertainment things like sky rises coming up and that's happening, uh, right next to Bayside marketplace and Bayfront park. And this is a very large, almost a thousand foot tall entertainment and, um, observation tower. I was just trying to remember all the stuff that they have in there. It looks Uh, like a hairpin, right? It does, yeah. A a render. I've heard quite a few people, uh, yeah, who uh, (laughs) have said exactly (laughs) the same thing. But I mean, you're you're talking about three observation decks, a high-end restaurant, nightclubs, uh, ballroom, uh, conference, and exhibition center. And then there's entertainment rides. There's going to be like indoor skydiving, bungee jumping. Um, Alona's already bought her tickets for that. (laughs) Um, So could be pretty exciting. Entertainment complex. um, Bayside Marketplace is also trying to do a small scale. Uh, Ferris wheel okay. as well uh, it'll you know won't be quite as big as big as the London eye um, but more of a small scale a little bit more transparent and see-through not to block the views of the residents that live there They're trying to have that and done in time for a huge event we got coming up Super Bowl 54 of uh, course February 2020. Um, we're working on a, a lot of things to finish up our Baywalk or install really some amazing new LED lights um, all along our waterfront so you'll see those coming along uh, online as well.
1: And Ludlum, is it going to connect to the
2: Ludlum Trail? Ludlum Trail, yes. Yeah. So the Ludlum Trail out west is another area, um, also an abandoned rail line. You know, it's outside of downtown, but the Ludlum Trail, uh, the Baywalk, the Riverwalk, the Underline. They're... What about the,
0: oh, sorry, you were saying. Yeah,
2: yeah, no, they're all starting to form this thing called the Miami Loop. Okay. And so the Miami Loop is this idea to have this, you know, over, I think it's like 30, 40 miles, you know, one in-connect, you know, interconnected loop of pedestrian and bike only facilities that's amazing to have in in all of in all of south dade so it'd be really impressive if if it's ever actually realized
0: sure and what about um how does the biscayne green uh tie into that if at all
2: yep so um great question so biscayne green what it is is, um, in some of the best cities, uh, uh, you know, around the world, they have green spines running through them, and these are kind of the heart of cities. So, if anyone's ever been to Barcelona and you've been on Las Ramblas, or you've been in Madrid in Paseo del Prado, these are, you know, pedestrian, you know, focused spines running right through the heart of downtown, where you have all the shopping, dining, retail, nightlife, hotels, um, entertainment. They're just just wonderful places that people want to go and and stay. So we're trying to do something a little bit similar in our our downtown core as well. Biscayne Boulevard, as it runs right through the heart of downtown, it goes from four lanes to six lanes, all the way to eight lanes wide, only for an eight block section, basically from the Intercontinental Hotel up until American Airlines Arena. And then it goes back down to six lanes and four lanes. So what it does is it it creates a reverse bottleneck. People are stuck in traffic. They want to get somewhere. All of a sudden, the lanes open up get on the gas, racetrack on down, and then they're stuck right back in the traffic. They don't, it doesn't actually, go ahead, I'm sorry. And
1: if you're trying to cross the street as a pedestrian, you know, you get there's, run over. There's easily.
2: pedestrian crossings missing. You've got, you know, 200 feet of, uh, you know, highway to get across. Uh, in between uh, those eight lanes of traffic, we have these large parking bays. And as, um, you know, Uber and Lyft starts to eat more and more away at overnight or, or extended parking, um, these parking facilities aren't going to be used as much. So we, as the DDA were uh, you know, one of those advocacy agencies where we started pushing for this, and this is going back seven, eight years to look at what could happen with that area. That area was dedicated to cars whether they're driving or parking. And it, and it totally separates, you know, all the parks from where people live and where they work. And like Elona alluded to, it's not a, a safe crossing. So what could we, how could we retransform this area for people? Because that's what you want in downtown mm-hmm. core. Um, it's been done in other cities: the Big Dig and um, the Rose Kennedy Greenway in Boston, uh, Clyde Warren Park in uh, Dallas. They've been really, you know, great examples of transforming gray vehicular space into green uh, pedestrian space. So to try and show people what was possible, uh, I guess it was almost oh about two years ago, we did a temporary one month, you know, public uh, open space, um, pop-up park we called it Biscayne green based on the name of the project. And what we did was we took out two of the parking stalls. We, you know, in the span of three or four days, completely transformed them into dog parks, kids' parks, open spa areas, event areas. We programmed the heck out of it. Over 21 days, we had 27 events. We had over 20,000 people, live music, live dance, workout, yoga, business, co-working, downtown food festivals. It was fantastic.
1: It was. It was so much fun. I don't know if you had a chance to see it.
0: I, I did not, but I mean, I can only imagine if even living on Biscayne or nearby, like What a change of the vibe, something like that. And
2: that's what we thought. We thought, okay, all our downtown residents are going to come out. And they did. But then we started, oh, you're from Kendall? Oh, you're from Doral? (laughs) Like, we were shocked where people were coming from. Oh, you came down from Fort Lauderdale? This is amazing. And the number one thing we heard, um, you know, over and over was, this is permanent, right? This is staying. I can come back to this. And we had to tell them, no, this is just a showcase to show you what is possible. A visioning thing that you could experience firsthand. And that really builds the grassroots momentum for people to want it enough. So in order to do it permanently, we have to go two parallel tracks. So we're doing one right now. We have to do a, um, an FTOT required lane and elimination analysis. So we have enough room for the dedicated bike and bus lanes. And then also uh, Miami Parking Authority or the MPA is also doing a year long study to see what could be what could be done in those spaces, not just as far as programming and activation, but can you build uh, green spaces, pedestrian spaces, and also put some form of retail that can help offset the costs that were usually driven from the parking revenue? So the DDA is working on theirs, the MPA is working on theirs. We've in, we've engaged all the downtown stakeholders, you know, FDOT, uh, MPA, you name it. They all it's moving forward right now, and hopefully after one year, we're going to find out if this is going to be a, a permanent thing. If we can get the you know the necessary funding to make it a reality.
0: Well, best of luck to you guys with that. And is there, um, speaking of which, is there anything that our listeners or residents can do to help support or advocate in your efforts to this, or like stay connected with it?
2: There's actually a public workshop coming up. I believe it's next week. Um, I can we have a follow up link at the end of this podcast yeah, as absolutely. well. Absolutely. Excellent. So we'll put the link up there for them to come out and see what's happening. Um, give us your thoughts. What do you want to see here? You know, we did a lot of um. And when we did the temporary event, we had a lot of polling done there on site asking people, what was your favorite part? What didn't you like? What were we missing? What what's really needed here that you as a downtown resident or business owner or a tourist, what would you like to see here? So we have this, you know, huge uh, flow chart or, you know, Venn diagram of all the different things that we would like to program and activate in there. Um, but yeah, we'd like to hear from the residents, you know, now that they know a little bit more about it, what they'd like to see.
0: Yeah. And I think there's a, and even going back to some of the other topics we, we discussed like with the expansion of the Metro and, uh, the Metro mover and all that, <clears throat> excuse me. I think there's a lot of, uh, really cool initiatives you guys are working on that. I, I think the more and more that the public is either A aware and B is supporting or calling commissioners or saying, Hey, want to make sure that, you know, the DDA gets the support on making these things happen, come to fruition. And hopefully, you know, it all sort of, absolutely to the mm-hmm. the right place um so so definitely we'll include a link for ways for our listeners to get in touch um to to go back to the development and the next five to ten years i know we talked about a thousand museum aston martin residences um miami world mm-hmm. center which you touched on briefly is a big piece of that puzzle tell me a little bit about what what's huge uh,
1: it's another huge transformative project for downtown it's over Uh, It's it's the second largest urban master plan in the U.S. behind Hudson Yards in New York. Uh, It is about a $1.5 billion project, and it's mixed use. It's going to have residential uh, condominiums, apartments. It's going to have commercial office space. Uh, It's also going to have a convention center that is going to be right across the street from the train station. Imagine uh, the possibilities there and a hotel attached. Uh, And then most importantly, it's going to have a helipad on, uh, on cool. uh, the tower. And I actually met somebody the other day who said that they bought a unit in Miami World Center because of the helipad.
0: That's amazing, and actually, I this this is the 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 project that's making all the headlines. I think even nationally and globally about the flying cars, the flying carport right, on the rooftop. I think the helipad is is connected to that, or correct. one of the yeah, same.
1: Yeah, that's the landing piece.
2: And one other thing to mention about Miami World Center, a lot like Brickle City Center, you're going to have all of that. You know, high end. Um, you know, retail. You're going to have amazing dining opportunities. Um, I know there's quite a few. Uh, famous chefs coming coming to downtown very soon. And I mentioned, you know, earlier about third place. Uh Miami World Center is gonna have four and a half I think four and a half acres of open space where you can walk around, stroll around, bring your family, bring your dogs, um, it's a little bit like a, a Lincoln Road, but a vertical Lincoln Road right here in the heart of downtown. That's, oh, go ahead.
1: Two blocks away from American Airlines Arena. So finally, yeah. you can go to a heat game and go to dinner, you know, before or after walking two blocks away.
2: Yeah, you can take your bright line down and then mm-hmm. walk through my World Center to get to uh, the J-Lo concert or the heat game and then, you know, trek back. Pretty
0: nice. There you go. And um, speaking of third place, what we've been talking about and alluding to Flagler Street and the Complete Streets Project. So tell me about uh, that some more and what that entails.
2: So the Flagler Street, um, I I don't know if I call it project initiative, but it's been going on for about eight years now. Um, This is where a lot of our downtown business owners, stakeholders realized that the oldest, most historic uh, downtown retail and dining street in all of South Florida, but especially Miami, had really lagged behind you alluded to earlier about that urban flight that happened after world war ii where people started going out into the suburbs and getting their houses and when that happened they stopped coming to downtown like they used to to go to the jewelry stores to go to the restaurants and um flagler kind of you know kind of fell into i don't want to say blight but pretty much into that area where you don't have a lot of the you know on use um amenities, the dining and the shopping. So a lot of our prominent business owners and some of our board members said we need to do something about this. We need the city and the county to really get behind this. Uh, They did the DDA kind of spearheaded the effort and they formed the Flagler Street task force who kind of guided the project. They were able to go out and get $13 million. Um, the property owners along the Flagler corridor self-assessed themselves just to get seed money, to get the project started. Um, project got underway, I believe it was in 2015 or 16. Um, didn't go that well with the contractor at the time. Construction kind of stalled out. The city got, you know, kind of fired the contractor and said, all right, we need to do this, you know, much quicker and much more appropriately, um, brought in a new contractor and then there was a little bit of a pause period where one of our, um, biggest real estate owners in downtown Miami, Moshimana, kind of came on board and said, you know, this is an opportunity to not only get it right, but to do it even better. So, you know, he hired a firm to go ahead and, and give us some renderings of what it could could even better to, to even really enhance the street even more, to make it even more of a destination. Um, and then through the DDA and the Flag of the Street Task Force, kind of, um, went, you know, talked to both county and the city mayors and said, hey, I, you know, this is going to cost a little bit more money than the original project. Um, they got it. So now the the project's budget has doubled. Um, and then they're gonna start construction right after the Super Bowl. It was gonna start beforehand, but they didn't want to have streets open when we have, a, you know, a million people in downtown for the Super Bowl. So it'll it'll kick back off right at the Super Bowl and then it should take about two years to complete the entire stretch all the way from the courthouse to Biscayne Boulevard. So. And, go ahead.
1: and one of the key elements is that railroad crossing.
2: Yeah. So yeah, good point. Thank you, Alona. So how do you, how do you, you know, transform a street? You, you can't move the buildings back. You know, you only have so much right away in the middle of the street. So how do you transform a street um, and make it a much more inviting experience? So what they, they, they looked at other cities, what they've done is they took the odd street parking away. And that gave them twice as much room in the sidewalk. So instead of 10, 11 foot sidewalks, you have 24, 26, 26 foot sidewalks. Um, then they have dedicated valet. So you can, you know, get off at Miami Ave, walk the whole street, have your car delivered to you at Biscayne. that extra room, not only made it a, a much more pleasant experience for walking, but it allowed for a lot more outdoor dining, a lot of the restaurants to have more outdoor dining space. And then another key feature is what Alona was talking about is having actually railroad crossing arms at the uh, at the street intersections. So you have the ability to close down the street when you want at nighttime for festivals, weekends for parties, events, farmers markets, and make it a pedestrian only experience like Lincoln Road. But during the week, still allow uh, cars to come through um, and, and keep the, you know, the historic nature of the street, but also retransform it because that's what it needs. Um, I think as you see that capital improvement project happen, you're going to see a lot more businesses, restaurants, um, and retail opening up on the quarter. It's its very much needed right now. Um, but I think in the next four or five years, you're going to see a major transformation right there.
1: And if I could jump in as well. Uh, so, Moishimana, uh, Neil had alluded to, uh, was one of the ones who spearheaded this, the, the renewal of the Flagler Street uh, movement. Uh, you know, he is a major stakeholder and major property owner in downtown, for those of you that don't know. And he owns a tremendous amount of properties on Flagler. Uh, he has an initiative to uh, focus on tech and bring in this whole creative collaborative community and, uh, new trends that are, that are, we're seeing in, in, economies and, uh, and bring in, and he's trying to incentivize tech startups primarily from Israel. So he has actually hired, uh, some people who were spearheading the whole tech startup movement in Israel. And he wants to re- replicate what was done in Israel, uh, in Miami and specifically on Flagler with his properties. So we're going to be uh, working very closely with him and his team, uh, to help make that happen and, and drive tech and innovation to Flagler.
0: That's, uh, very interesting. And I didn't know about that last component. Uh, I really wasn't super dialed into the the whole Flagler street, but what that transformative you know process was going to result in. I'm even now more excited mm-hmm. after just um, learning about that, I'm sure listeners are as well. And when you really start to put all the pieces of the puzzle together, as to what we've been talking about today, already how far downtown that urban core has come, what's in the pipeline. I mean, the, really, the it seems like the upward potential for the city is, is limitless. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those that live here, uh, you should be excited, those considering coming, um, all the more reason why. I want to end it with this. Um, you made the comparison to Lincoln Road, and as we know here definitely that's uh, over the bridge uh, over the bay on on miami beach and so one of those last projects um in that future transformative horizon is the 395 signature bridge so could you break that down for us sort of what is it and what where is it in the process
2: absolutely so a little bit of context of what the signature bridge is i think some people thought it was just a very expensive facelift to an existing bridge but um you know when 95 was built you know way back when it kind of really went right through the heart of Overtown, the historic African-American community, and totally divided that community, um, basically into two parts and then 395 came along and then did it again. So the, the, it's not just the bridge and the highway going through and, and, you know, ruining communities and uprooting communities, but it's what happens at the street level with the urban fabric. So the bridge is very low in most places. It's only 18 feet of clearance. So you don't, not a lot of light gets through. What happens underneath that bridge are either empty spaces, parking lots, or what you know eventually become homeless hangouts. No one really wants to go there; they don't feel safe there. It definitely does not promote you know economic development. So to try and rectify that, FDOT has put together the signature bridge project. It's in conjunction with MDX and the Eight Thirty Six, an eight hundred million dollar project. Uh, so what they're going to redo is, is parts of 836 will be redone, um, better connectivity as far as vehicular. There are sections where they're talking about doing a double decker to even promote, you know, uh, quicker flow of traffic. But then as you get into uh, 395, that's the big part of the real signature bridge. So you're going to see those large spans and those what they call the Fountain of Light, or some people call the spider or the octopus. But uh, you're going to see this large, beautiful, beautiful iconic structure. But the, the key component of it is what is actually going to happen at the street level. So instead of only 18 feet of clearance, they're bringing that bridge up 60 feet high. And instead of...
1: Six zero. Yeah, right?
2: six zero. Yes, yeah. So 60 feet high. And then instead of you know 300 support columns because of new technology, now you're going to have you know, like, you know like half the support columns. So again, more light, more access. And then what's going to happen underneath that space? Well, it's no longer going to be abandoned parking lots and homeless hangouts. Uh, the city, actually the city of Miami and the, um, office of capital improvements have taken over that component and it's 33 acres of open space, basically a linear park going right underneath the bridge, um, to reconnect the Overtown community into downtown Edgewater, Omni arts and entertainment, and then a 33 acre open space park, um. I've seen some of the renderings of what it might look like. If it gets realized with what the design team is coming up with, it's it, it's another game changer for downtown. It really is a place that people are going to go with their families, with their dogs, with their bikes, outdoor concerts. Um, it's going to be like a Biscayne Green going east, west instead of north, south. So um, it's already under construction, it's supposed to be delivered within five years. So we're looking about 2023, 2024.
1: I can't wait. I can't wait either.
0: And I can't wait for all these amazing things that you guys just, um, you know, shed light on for us here today. Is there one of which, by the way, last question that you're most excited about personal favorites?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm excited about the Baywalk, the Riverwalk, Underline. I'm a walker, so I cannot wait to be able to take advantage of all these, uh, new trails and and walkability areas, uh, uh, coming soon.
2: She stole my answer. Uh, the the Baywalk (laughs) is something I work on every single day. Um. The last eight, nine years I've been going to studying, researching waterfronts around the world, uh, what makes them work, what doesn't make them work, how cities have redeveloped them, how to activate them and program them. And, uh, you know, some of the best cities I've been in, the waterfronts are, it's where the absolute life happens in a city. It's where people want to go and it really ties together a community. Uh, you know, and I think a lot of times people in Miami think all the waterfront is only for wealthy condo owners. You know, you gotta, you gotta make so much money just to live there. Well, well, the Baywalk and the Riverwalk have the potential to be where everyone can meet from any walk of life. It's, you know, it's open to the public, programmed for the public, and it's where you can really meet anyone
0: from your community. Very well said, Yelena. Uh,
1: what's your favorite? Oh, good question.
0: G- great question. <laughs> um Well, I'll go different from you two. I, I think mm-hmm. the underline, uh, number one, uh, just because I-, I think when you connect all the dots that we have now, running, walking, yes, but even taking an electric scooter. Down to the Gables, you know, the underline, Absolutely. you know, yeah. like just seeing where that goes. Um, I, I think that's amazing. And really, uh, I can't wait to see how this Flagler Street project comes about because I feel like From Brickell up to um, downtown and then even up to Wynwood, it's just all coming together in this beautiful mosaic. It's going to be awesome. So I would say Underline and and the Flagler Project, definitely. Good answer. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Well, listen, Neil, Alona, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for everything you guys do. It's been a lot of fun. And I hope that, um, you know, wish you all, all the best in the future.
1: Thank you.
2: Thank you for having us. We'll be back in five years to talk about how it all went so perfectly well. Right? <laughs> Hopefully a lot sooner than that, right? We'll have,
0: you know, uh, repeat repeat visitors to keep us updated on, on the progress. So everybody out there, thank you so much for listening. Um, this was a breakdown of the placemaking, mobility, and urban design that is transforming the downtown Miami urban core. Hope you guys learned a lot. Hope you guys are excited. Have a great rest of your day. And remember, here in Miami, the future is always bright.